And once you have play calling duties, I this is my opinion, hold on to them as long as you can. Hold on to them as long as you can. Because in my opinion, it is the most fun you'll ever have coaching football. Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, Pumpkin left, Alert Charlotte left. Hold on. Punch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet F stick. Victory is a great play call. All right, coaches, welcome back to another episode of the Play Callers Club. We're fired up to be back with you. We've been, you know, working our schedules and we're finally kind of getting back into a normal rhythm of recording podcasts and breaking down what's going on in the football world. And honestly, I'm almost most excited for the offseason to be able to take a little bit more of a deep dive into some of the topics we wanted to cover. During the season, you feel like you're drinking through a fire or drinking from a fire hose and you can barely keep up with, you know, what's going on from day to day, week to week. Um, but we're excited for the off season. We think it's going to be uh, a great opportunity to slow down a little bit, have some great conversations, have a bunch of guests on. Uh, me and Rashad were recently down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl and got to connect with a bunch of play callers, offensive coaches down there and uh, have some guys already lined up, ready to roll for guests. So we're going to definitely have some some awesome guests for you guys soon. But today I wanted to jump right into a conversation that we've been having in the group chat for a while now. And I tweeted about it the other day, and it got kind of mixed reviews. There are some coaches that really agreed with me, some coaches that vehemently disagreed with me. And I'd love for us to just kind of have an open dialogue conversation about this, because I think it's an important topic. And basically what I tweeted was, if you are a head coach, and the reason you got your head coaching job is because of your success as a, for, for our case, an offensive play caller, but you could say the same for a defensive play caller. My argument was... Don't give up play calling duties. Like that's your superpower. That's what got you there. Um, I think sometimes coaches are a little too quick to give those play calling duties up when they get their, you know, their head coaching job. And again, like I said, some coaches really agreed with me. Some, you know, absolutely disagreed with me. And I'd be interested to hear y'all's thoughts. We've talked about it a little bit in the group chat, but um, just kind of your initial reaction to that idea of okay, you're an offensive play caller. You do a great job. Your offense is rolling. You get a head job what what next what does that look like for you i think it makes complete sense that if you are a dynamite oc that's your full-time role right as you know the role of an oc is to score touchdowns and get first downs so when you get promoted to the head coaching role yes it will change your still calling plays you get to kind of like think about the defense and how your play calls will affect them but i think as an oc being hired to a head coaching role you should, my my opinion, should be calling plays still. And I get it with head coaching, whether it's college, NFL, you have other things you need to do. College head coach has got to worry about working with donors and working with the boosters and working with, you know, overall recruiting strategy. NFL head coaches have worked, you know, with scouting and scouting and other items of other administrative duties. But there's a way for you to kind of like divvy out those duties uh, when it comes to administrative work, the operational work, when it, when it comes to becoming a head coach. There's ways to make it work. Um, and I do, you do see guys kind of like get the head coaching job and they may feel that pressure to like yield it, yield to play calling. But if it got you there, you should keep it. Now, if you're not able to balance it all, you know, work with your defensive coordinator, work with your GM, if you're an NFL guy and college guy, work with your, you know, staff and trying to find ways to find that balance. 
but I believe you should like keep it rolling with play calling. But here's a, here's the opposite end of it, right? Like if you're a play caller as a head coach, you can't treat your defensive coordinator and your special teams coordinator, your staffers like contractors. You got to like make sure that they're able to own their duties, but you can't just forget about the defense. You call offense. You have to make sure that right. you're kind of dialed in on defense as well, even special teams as well. Right. So like you're all one unit. I think what happens is coaches who go from play calling and they give it up as a um, second year coach, say the first year to call plays, second year to kind of give it up. Reason being, they kind of like treat their defense coordinator like a contractor instead of like one unit. So I think the best way to do it is just more so that you're dialed in all phases of the game, but obviously you're focused on your offense, right? And you can find ways to game plan. You can find ways to coach up your offense and make sure you have an overall great strategy and a great scheme. But it takes like, you know, it takes a village, right? And I think teams kind of like struggle. It's, it's hard, right? It's hard being a first time. It's hard going from play caller to a head coach, first time head coach. Or, you know, if you've been play calling for, for a while, then you become a head coach. So I think the best bet would be having a good staff. But I think where the struggle is usually whenever you lose those guys that might have done administrative stuff for you. So, yeah, I, I believe that it's possible. You shouldn't give it up. if it's if, Especially if you enjoy it, too. If you really enjoy it, keep right. keep yeah. it. So. Yeah, I think I'm going to give the most political answer here as possible. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I truly think it is really a case-by-case case basis. Yeah, it's a case-by-case <laughs> case basis. And if you ask me, I think best-case scenario would be, obvi- obviously, you got hired, like you said, because of that superpower, because of that ability that you have. There's a, you know, it's just every coach knows it. There's so many of the same. I'm not going to sit here and say every offense is the same. But there's so many of the same concepts and plays out there. But it's the creativity and the magic that you're able to create as the play caller to kind of piece not only the play together, but your specific group of guys together that I think is so special that just some guys have and some guys don't. And so if you've got that ability, you've got, but I think it really comes down to the framework of one, your coaching staff, and two, the team that you have. Um, and that's where it kind of gets hard. Um, but I think it's, you know, kind of starts with the initial point of when you get hired, you know, what does your staff look like? Do I have, you know, an offensive coordinator on my staff that I can trust that's been in this offense that, you know, if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I've got Mike McDaniel, that's been with me for forever. It's like, yeah, dude, roll with it. You know, you, you can call the plays. I'm still going to have my hand in it, but, I trust you every step of the way to basically be an extension of me. And I know that, you know, you're going to call it just as good as I'm going to. And I can kind of focus on everything else. It also comes down to, you know, what does your quarterback look like? Do I have a, you know, freshman or sophomore quarterback in high school or college? Or do I have a junior senior that's, you know, kind of been there, done that? I don't feel like I have to be as hands on him, hands on with him in the NFL. Do I have a rookie that, I feel like I got to bring them along a long way and it's kind of my role and my responsibility to do that. Or do I've got a veteran type guy that's like, you know, I'm really not going to change too much about him. And he's, you know, he understands the system. He's, you know, mature about it and everything. So I think there's just so many factors that really kind of play into it that you have to look into there. Um, but yeah, I think best case scenario is you do get to keep 
those play calling responsibilities. But, you know, it's just, you know, kind of back to like, let's say the NFL or college example, you're just on such a shorter clock nowadays right. yep. than um, <laughs> you were, you know, maybe let's say even back to five, 10 years ago that, I mean, I think most guys want to try and say, you know, it's just kind of like we talked about with Mike McCarthy at the beginning of the year. I think he, you know, obviously he ended up being able to keep his job, you know, going into this next year. But I think he just kind of looked at it and was like, hey, you know, this is kind of on me to work or not work. And at the end of the day, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go swing in with me as the play caller. And I think some other guys might kind of view it another way is, you know, if I'm the head coach and somebody else is the play caller. Well, they can kind of be my scapegoat. If things go wrong, I can get <laughs> rid of them. That, and like, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of think that's what Mike, you know, kind of what Mike McCarthy had, you know, Kellen Moore was kind of the scapegoat and he was like, okay, well, you know, now I can step in and I can take that role a little bit. So obviously as a head coach, you don't want to think that way. I don't, you don't, you don't want to set up another guy for failure but I think in the back of some guys' minds that, you know, when you're in a little bit, you know, backed into a corner into some trouble, it might kind of, you know, be your out a little bit. Um, but I just think truly the most competitive guys, the guys that, you know, feel like they were born to do it are the guys that, you know, they're just not going to let it go. And I mean, I think back to, you know, kind of close to home for me, Jimbo Fisher, I think, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I think his offense has kind of gotten, a little, you know, too old school, I'd say. He hasn't adapted very well to the modern game, but he's just truly not a guy that I think should relinquish play calling. He just, you know, if he's going to go down, he needs to go down swinging in his style and not let, let anybody else be running it. And I think that was probably a regret for him this past year that, you know, he did pass it off to somebody else. Yeah, like there's a part of me that's like, does that ever really work? To like save your job by giving up play calling duty, exactly. I, I, and it, it's it's hard for me to think of like these like crystal clear examples of like, oh man, dude was on the hot seat and then he gave up play calling duty and it's been great ever since. Yeah, like exactly, I don't think you usually run into scenarios like that. And so I guess I don't know. We were talking about this a little bit before we hit record that the longest tenured offensive coordinator in the NFL right now started their job in 2022 which is like unfathomable to think about in terms of just how much time you get. And it's both for good and for bad, right? It's like, if you're a successful offensive coordinator, you're probably up for a head job. If you struggle as a offensive coordinator, you're probably getting fired pretty quickly or some, you know, the whole staff's getting fired. Like there's such a short leash on these guys. And so I think when I, when I, when I go through kind of the list of guys that have had a little bit of longevity, a lot of those guys have either maintained play calling duties and responsibilities like uh, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, others like that. And then you have the other guys that I think are successful are the ones that have like a really deep bench of really talented coaches that they can continue to call upon, like an Andy sure. Reid. Now, I'm sure Andy Reid's still very involved in the game day play calling process. Like, I know that he's he's always going to have a hand in that, whether he's calling every play. I don't know. Everybody kind of has their own um, opinion on that, I guess. I know different guys have said different things, but I don't know. I just think in, if you look at the NFL, if you 
give up play calling duties and your OC has a ton of success, they're probably going to leave. I mean, that's just how it works. Right. And even in high school, like down here in Texas, we see the same thing, right? Like a lot of these really talented coordinators are then getting head high school jobs and it can become very difficult to continue to replenish that pipeline of play callers because it is a very specific skill. And just because someone's a good position coach doesn't necessarily mean that they can just seamlessly roll into the play calling role. It is, it is its own kind of beast, I think. And so I guess to take this, to zoom kind of out from the NFL and kind of zoom in more for, for the high school guys and college guys we have listening, I get this question a lot is like, Hey, I really want to call plays. What, like, what should I do to prepare myself to do that? Right. Like we're not even talking about head coach. We're just talking about being an offensive coordinator, getting that opportunity. I think you need to think through a couple things. One is you probably got to work for a defensive head coach who's actually going to let you call the offensive plays. This is again, if you want to call the offense, um, you have to think through that component of things. If you're working for an offensive coach, even if they give you some responsibility in the offensive play calling, they're still probably going to be pretty involved and that could be good, could be bad. Um, and so I think for the, the younger guys that are listening and have aspirations of calling plays and maybe one day being a head coach and calling plays, I think you need to think through it in terms of who can I go coach with over the next year or two or three where I can learn their process and be ready for that opportunity when my time comes. Because I think what we've seen, whether it's NFL, college, and of course it happens at the high school level as well, just because you get promoted into that role doesn't mean it's going to be easy once you're there. And there's some serious growing pains. And you know, an example would be in Philly, like Brian Johnson. We, we felt pretty good about the Eagles early this year and then the the wheels fell off and he's out of a job right like it happens fast and i'm not saying it happens that fast in high school but it does happen fast and so i don't know i think when you're thinking through kind of your career path as a play caller and like with aspirations to get there i think the best thing you can do is go work for someone who who has a great process in place as a play caller because that Every day, day to day, in the building experience with that person is what's ultimately going to prepare you more than anything. And once you have play calling duties, I this is my opinion. Hold on to them as long as you can. Hold on to them as long as you can, because in my opinion, it is the most fun you'll ever have coaching football. That's my opinion. My opinion. But I just think it's I think it's so much fun to be able to have that level of. Uh, that level of influence in the operation on game day and throughout the week in, in the game planning process as well. So that yeah, was a long winded way, but thank <laughs> it, but that, yeah, that, those a, are my thoughts. That's a great, great, uh, great response. And like, let's, let's think back to Super Bowl winning head coaches, right? Um, did Joe Gibbs, did he call plays as head coach for the, for Washington? That's a good question. I, I know he was yeah. very involved in, designing that offense he called he was an offensive coordinator i think with the san diego chargers yeah with don coriel i believe um and really changed his style so i think he i think he did call plays in washington but i'd have yeah. to dig into the, the history a little bit and would you say bill walsh called plays 100 percent uh Every mike play. shanahan <laughs> yep shanahan was a play caller yeah so there's a i mean it's only three people i mentioned but there's a small enough sample size to show you that you can it's it's possible, right? And I get it, the game has changed from the people I mentioned just now, but 
it's definitely doable and feasible to do it if you're able to do it at a high level, right? And like be excellent at calling plays. So there's definitely there's, there's, there's somewhat, somewhat of a correlation between <laughs> if you're a high level call, play caller with a good team, you can you can be successful. You know, so yeah, I think I've seen it with this stat where they were like, well, no college head coach has won a national championship since 2013 when Jimbo did at Florida State as the primary play caller, which is true. But I think that's more like correlation than causation, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think head coaches calling plays is what's holding teams back from winning yeah. championships. Personally, yeah. that's my opinion. Well, and kind of, kind of back to what we were talking about earlier, I think it, you know, as a coach, you got to think about the, the build and the makeup of your coaching staff. And, you know, you have to think about, okay, if I'm going to be kind of like back to Rashad's point a little bit, if I'm going to be a play calling head coach as an like as an offensive coordinator, what do I want on the defensive side of the ball? I Correct. want a guy that can basically be the head coach of the defense that, yes, yes I, you know, as a head coach, it's still my responsibility that I need to check in, know what my defense is doing. But I need a guy that's mature enough over there that he doesn't need me hand holding all the time. So more than likely, probably not a first year or young and inexperienced defensive coordinator. Now, you know, you could hire a guy that you trust and it could be great, but I'd rather hire a guy that I know has got the experience that I can just say, hey, that, you know, you got it. You do what you guys are going to do. And, you know, we're going to both make our game plans and then we're going to come together and think about how we can be a cohesive unit. But, you know, I don't have the time because I've, you know, I think that's where really in this day and age is just you're kind of like Rashad talked about. You're just so stretched thin going in so many different ways. If you're having to worry about, you know, all what, you know, you all of a sudden you're in the game and your D your DC's calling something and you're like, what in the world are we doing? Why are we calling that? And that takes you away. That that's where, and I think, right. 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 And all, uh, a play calling head coach starts going, I don't, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I don't think it's really his offense. I think it's when he feels like he can't trust what the rest of his coaching staff is doing. And he doesn't feel like his players are being coached in the correct way. And he's like, well, at the end of the day, this is my whole operation. So I feel like I need to take a step back from what I'm doing. So if you put the right guys in place, I think kind of like you're saying, Dan, it's not that it can't be done. I just don't think it's really being organized correctly because I just don't think coaches when they're making these hires are not that they're not, but they're just not thinking as far in advance. You know, you're more of like, I want to hire a guy that I really like rather than a guy that I know I can trust that I don't have to sit there and, you know, be in every meeting that he's doing, you know, at, you know, questioning his play calling during the game. It's just, Hey, let him ride. He's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah, I mean that that trust component is is massive and I don't know, I think I think um when we when we talk about head coaches that don't call plays, I think you've got to bring it back to like those are typically a little bit older coaches who have like a deep bench of talent that they can hire mm-hmm. and that they can that they trust that those coaches have been developed to a certain degree. And I, I mean, the, the most obvious kind of easiest example of this, right, is what Harbaugh did at Michigan. It's like Harbaugh was able to 
handpick members of his brother's NFL coaching staff to be the DC at Michigan. So obviously we know Harbaugh's Harbaugh's an offensive guy. Like the Michigan offense is going to have his physical identity. Of course, obviously he wasn't calling the plays, but he was able to really give first Mike Mike McDonald control of that defense who came from Baltimore. And then Jesse Minter, who was also in Baltimore, who again, learned from, uh, learned from John Harbaugh, learned from Wink Martindale, learned from like this system that he felt really confident in translating into the college level. And most coaches, especially young coaches, do not have that deep of a bench that they can call a guy and be like, hey, I, I want you to come be my DC. Like you're just not, your level of contacts are not going to be strong enough. And that's why I think for young coaches that got jobs because they were play callers, it's easiest to maintain control of one side of the ball so you're not leaving multiple variables up in the air for yourself. So like even Mike McDonald said this when he took the Seahawks job is like, hey, I'm going to call the defense because I think that's what gives us the best chance to win right now. Eventually, you know, I'd like to have somebody ready to kind of pass it off to. But right now, that's got to that's I got to own that even though I'm obviously responsible for the whole team. And so I think it's easiest for a young coach to maintain one schematic variable, whether it's offense or defense, and hire for another. I think older, more experienced coaches with better contact lists of coaches that they can hire, those are the ones that can maybe take a step back from play calling duties and say, I got a good OC, I got a good DC, I can kind of make sure and, and mold the staff into what I want it to be. Um, but I think that's really, really hard for young coaches. And right now, who are, who's getting hired in the NFL? Young guys. Young guys are getting hired. I mean, that's, that's the trend, at least. Um, whether it continues, we don't know, but that's the trend. And so even at the high school level, you're seeing more and more young guys get opportunities to be head coaches. And I think that's just something you have to think through in your program. You know, what does it look like to maintain some level of schematic control and not be micromanaging every other piece of the program at all times. Like you just, you just can't do it. There's not enough time in the day, even at the high school level, there's not enough time in the day to micromanage every, every aspect of the program. It's just really hard. Here's a, here's a question for y'all. I was kind of thinking about this as we were talking. I feel like for some weird reason, I don't know why I feel that it might just be because of like the Nick Saban's and the Bill Belichick's of the world. Do you feel like, defensive guys do a better job of you know i'm gonna run my defense and just kind of let the offense do their thing then on the the flip side of it Ooh, it's a good question it's a good question i think it's my, so I my feel first like answer defensive guys do a better job of like i'm i'm kind of like what we're talking about i'm the play yeah. caller i'm gonna call the defense I'm not relinquishing that rather than it feels like the offensive guys are always the ones that are like, okay, I'll hand it off to somebody else. That kind of seems like the trend. It's, you know, you don't see as much. It happens for sure where a defensive guy decides to, you know, take a step back, let somebody else call it. I mean, even Nick Saban, he's had somebody calling his defense for forever now. Um, But it kind of seems like, those defensive guys, they really like to take a hold on it and say, like, no, I'm I'm calling this defense, as opposed to some of the offensive guys are like we're saying a little bit quick to pull the trigger to kind of relinquish the offense to somebody else. 
Rashad, I'll let you take the first crack at that one. <laughs> I'm thinking my first my first thought, guys, was quarterback play. I was thinking personnel immediately. I don't and I don't know where I'm going with this, but I guess my thought was I know you mentioned before. So, so I guess your question, Jake, is that why is why is it likely more likely for offensive guys to give it up versus defensive guys when yeah. it comes to play calling? I feel yeah, like, I, guess, I almost um, feel like it's like a like internal. I don't know, like a yeah, yeah. Like a de- defensive guys, you know, are naturally you think more like aggressive, you know, like <laughs> personality, and I feel like they're like, no, like I'd rather you fire me than me give up my, you know, defensive play calling. As to where I feel like truly, that's what makes the best offensive play callers is when you have that mindset. You're like, no, like it's mine. I'm not giving it up. But I just feel like too many guys are. You know, just okay with. Oh, all right, I'll give it to somebody else. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm gonna hurt a lot of people's feelings when oh, you're like, gonna have some. Dang you have it. some defensive guys coming after you. <laughs> no, I feel like the defensive too, people but... should be happy with me. I'm complimenting <laughs> defensive guys. You want to? You want aggressive defensive? I'm telling the offensive guys yeah, to be more aggressive and stand up for yeah, themselves. Like, come on, take take what's yours. Yeah. <laughs> Take with you like we're saying, you, you got the job. You got the job for a reason. Oh, hold on to it. Would you say it. offensive guys? Maybe this is a different direction. Would you say are you, are you saying that offensive guys maybe more risk averse? They're like, well, let me have someone else do this because I I don't know. Like, are you saying they're more risk? Yeah, I think we can just not guys? say it. But offensive guys are a little a little soft. <laughs> I, I'm kind of I'm kind of <laughs> saying that, and I also think that. <laughs> One of the problems that offensive coaches have—I think one of the problems that offensive coaches have sometimes is they'd rather give it up and let somebody else do it than adapt what they're doing. Mm. I feel like okay. defensive coaches—they're gonna—they're gonna, they're gonna kind of go with, okay, here's what offenses are doing. Here's what we need to do to adjust to it. Let's adjust our right. defense through the years. Offensive coaches are like. This is what I do. Oh, it's not working. Okay, somebody else can call the plays. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, I mean, adapt and fix it. Like, I, that's so okay. This is interesting that you bring this up because, um, me and Rashad had a couple, a couple interesting conversations with some, some guys. I'm going to try to tread carefully here. Um, <laughs> so the defensive guys that are really successful have a very clear, vision of what they want the offense to look like in my opinion Mm -hmm. and so like we'll use nick saban as an example because he's retired he's not the only one there's several like him um no one can be truly like nick saban but you know what i mean like kind of cut from the same cloth he's gonna make you use his terminology whether that's natural to you or not like this is the the way we do it at alabama and i think a lot of coaches are kind of copying some of that um, ethos a little bit of like, hey, I got the defense, dude. Don't worry about the defense, but I'm going to hire an offensive coordinator that's going to do it the way I want it done. And they have a very, very specific way of having it done. And that's why I think some of these programs that have a little bit more stability, even when an offensive coordinator leaves, is because the DC, or not the DC, excuse me, the head coach who's a defensive guy has a very clear set of expectations for what the offense should look like. I think one of the things that gets offensive coaches in a lot of trouble is 
they're so focused on the offense that they're not thinking about the defense and they haven't really thought about what defense best marries with their offensive play style because offensive coaches can adapt their game so much. Right. And so it's like, Oh yeah, you want to play with tempo. Like the famous Gus Malzahn when he was at Springdale high school in Arkansas used to tell his defensive coordinator, like throw out your old metrics of like what it looks like to be successful playing defense. Because in this offense, the up-tempo, no-huddle offense, it's like we're playing a five-quarter game. We're not playing a four-quarter game. We're playing a five-quarter game. And so, yeah, you may give up more points than you normally do. And you may give up more yards than you normally do. But that's because we're playing a whole extra quarter because of the pace of play. And so, again, that's, that's a, a little bit of a tangent. But I think what sometimes what offensive coaches don't do a good job of, myself included, because I've, I have failed in this in my own coaching career when I was a head coach, is... I was just kind of like, ah, we'll score a bunch of points and just stop them a couple times. <laughs> and obviously, that's not a good mentality at all. When you're 24, that's what you think. Um, as I've matured, I've realized like how important it is to have that um, camaraderie between the offense and defense. Not just you know we get along, but we also are hand in hand in terms of like your scheme works with what I'm trying to get done, and this is going to work because we're on the same page. And I think the really successful defensive guys are the ones that have a very specific style of offense that they want to play. And so every time they bring in a new coordinator, they're playing the same style of offense and they're able to keep control of the defense. But I think that's a really interesting question, Jake. And I think you're onto something and I'm not exactly sure what it is, but like it makes makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, yeah, offensive guys are a little soft. I mean, it just kinda, don't be. We, we, don't, <laughs> be more aggressive. Don't be scared. Uh, don't let don't, the, don't let don't, the defensive coaches punk you. Listen, defensive coaches they'll 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 get after you. You got to stand up for yourself. It's yeah. true. You got to. We're, we 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 your joggers, but have some swag. Don't be yeah. you know, Don't don't be scared. You know, say things with your full chest, right? Don't be don't be shook. But but I think it's easy to get pushed off your line when you're not as successful as you want and that maybe bringing in an OC in title or in responsibility takes some of the heat off of you. And I think that's true for a lot of, a lot of coaches. I think it goes both ways, right? Like, Oh, I'll hire an OC. So if things don't go well, I'll just fire him and I'll take back over play calling duties or uh, things aren't going great for me. Like I'm going to divert and go grab an OC that can, you know, either be the scapegoat or the the guy that kind of comes to the rescue a little bit. So there's a lot of ego at play too. There's a lot of ego at play. Uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) You can't forget that. (laughs) And none of us are immune to it, man. We all, we all have ideas of, you know, what it looks like to be successful as a coach. And uh, sometimes the game humbles you, man, no matter what you think, you know, or what you do know, uh, doesn't always work the way you want it to. Yep. Well, kind of segue based off the last point you made a little bit talking about complimentary football, um, offensive and defensive side. We were talking a little bit about um, after the AFC championship, Chiefs were kind of talking about, and Patrick Mahomes specifically is talking about how, you know, 17-10 isn't really, you know, the typical Chiefs game that, you know, we're used to seeing these past couple playoffs, but 
he's talking about, look, our defense is rolling. We're up by two scores. We kind of change our style of play to know, you know, let's just not get in their way. Let's not turn the ball over. Let's keep kind of playing that field position battle. And if it gets to a game where we kind of start going back and forth, we'll kind of change, you know, flip the switch back again. But right now we're just going to let our defense stay in control. You know, we're going to keep giving the Ravens long, you know, long fields. What's kind of y'all's thoughts on, you know, I guess that, um, that philosophy of kind of complimentary football of, you know, offense kind of leaning on the defense, defense leaning on the offense, kind of being able to win the game, you know, in different ways. I think one of the biggest mistakes I made as a coach when I was young and starting out was to think that there was one way to play football that was the best way to play football. And I think I think a lot of coaches probably feel that at some point in their career where they're like they kind of feel like they've unlocked something, right? Like, oh, we you know, we went to a clinic and we installed the air raid and it worked really well and we're an air raid team or a spread team or an option team. Like a lot of people kind of find that identity. And I think when you get to the highest levels of football, you realize that there are a million and one ways to win a football game and a million and one ways to lose a football game. (laughs) And you have to be adaptable enough to find a way to win. And I know one of the things we talked about, um, it was probably a couple episodes ago was one of the lessons that I learned this past season, um, coaching high school ball was sometimes you got to brute force a game. Like you just gotta, you just gotta brute force a game. You have to, you know, run the ball, even when you, you know, would rather pass the ball and you just have to find a way to put it away. And I think I forget exactly when it was, but I think the chiefs had a bye week. And apparently Andy Reid and Spags got together and they were just like, what we're doing right now is not going to get us where we want to be. So we do have to change our style of play. And I think the fact that they got buy-in from Mahomes to say, hey, you're not going to be a statistical freak this year, but we're going to find a way to win games. And man, when you look at that Baltimore game in in particular, how many times did they run the ball? 30 plus times? Mm -hmm. Like that's almost unheard of. for a Chiefs team, right? And I think it shows a lot of maturity from the quarterback position and also one of the greatest coaches of all time who has been around this forever, Andy Reid. He's won Super Bowls scoring all the points in the world. And now he's looks like he's trying to pull a Belichick and win a grimy Super Bowl. That's what he's that's what he's trying to do. And uh, man, I mean, more power to him. Spags, I think, has that defense plan absolutely lights out. And I think that's always kind of been considered the the weak point from uh, for the Chiefs in terms of like when you compare it to the offense. Um, But again, if you've got a side of the ball that's cooking, like lean into it, man, lean into it and do what you can to support them. And I think the Chiefs, uh, they're just playing they're playing like really good football. It's not great offensive football, but like it's great mm-hmm. team football. Yep. And yeah, Jake, to your point, I think they've, they made the right adjustments to get them where they need to be, whether they have enough firepower to win it all. I don't know, but it's super hard to bet against them. That's for sure. Yeah. I think yeah. the best, one of the best quotes I heard after the game was Travis Kelsey said, um, he's like, yeah, in our team meeting, you know, we talked about how, you know, we liked the matchup 
of RDBs against their receivers. You know, we wanted to make them throw the ball. It's like, it's cool to hear your tight end say that, right? Like, right. And kind of like you're talking about that buy-in, like the understanding from like this side of the ball of what the defense is doing. I think that kind of gets lost. Kind of like we're talking about a little bit here in game planning with coaches and players. Sometimes it's like, yeah. You got the offense trying to go out and score 70, but the defense is wanting to slow the game down. And you've, you're you playing two different philosophies. And if you would go into the game and the play, I think the players just aren't aware sometimes of what the coaches are wanting as a whole. And I, sometimes I don't think the coaches even know what they want as a right. whole. So I think the more, yeah. you know, your offense, defense, special teams coordinators can kind of all get on the same page of, Hey, this is how we're going to win this game today. You know, we're we're going to go win a shootout or you know, we're going to win a ground and pound type game where we're just not going to turn the ball over, we're going to win the field position battle. And that could change in the middle of the game because the other team might have a completely different philosophy and you say, "Oh, you know what? Let's open it up." But I I just thought that was so cool to hear him say that because I think so many times as, you know, even I remember being a quarterback, sometimes you're like, "What's our defense doing out there today?" Like, what you're kind of wondering what their plan is. What I mean, I shoot. I remember when we played Louisville in the Music City Bowl, and I'm like, why do we keep letting Lamar Jackson pull the ball every time? Like, what, <laughs> what kind of what's the thought there between you know he's pretty fast? Oh, maybe in the second half we'll change things. Nope, just keep letting him pull it. All right. So, Jake, did, why did you? It's kind of one of those team. things you would like to kind of know, you know. <laughs> what the thought process is there a little bit. Um, but yeah, Jake, Jake, he could have been a two way start that game. We could have, you know, we could have used the Spags game plan that day. Jake, <laughs> Jake goes in there at the end to just force a give read like, every play. Uh, you're <laughs> handing it off. And then he just, and then he would just pull it and run past me. He'd anyway. regardless. He's like, I'm yeah. definitely going to beat this backup quarterback. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like this matchup. I'm, I got this guy. The edge is not going to be set. I got it. Yeah. 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 I mean, to your point, uh, Dan and Jake, you know, football is a team sport, right? So when you're able to make adjustments and able to play together, it's easier. Ideally, for a fan point of view, yeah, it's not, it would be nice to see a game, the Ravens, uh, Ravens Chiefs game be a, you know, 45 to 50 game, right? But I, with the Chiefs, they realize that they're going to lean into their defense. They're going to play uh, football. They're going to play together and just kind of just grind it, grind it out. And when it comes to NFL playoff games, if if you can win without passing the ball, right? That's that's always a fun situation, right? Because you want to be able to protect the ball. Usually, um, NFL games when it comes to pass playoff games when it comes to turnovers. That's usually the the way you kind of lose a game, which you saw with the Ravens. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you know what? Hey, we're going to keep it. Travis Kelsey, what he had like ten targets, ten catches in the first half. They kind of ground. They kind of just ran. In. I mean, the Ravens made a deep, made it made adjustments on defense to kind of slow down the Chiefs, but they just kind of played ball control. They just they just kind of like held on to the ball, played smart football, and just got out of there for victory. Um, from a fan point of view, you're like, man, I wanted to see more passes, right? I wanted to see him do more things, but. Get out there if all that matters, you win the game at the end. However, however you get it done. Yeah, there were a couple yeah, times they was... they they uh, crossed the fifty where normally you're like, okay, they're gonna get into you know they're gonna push Big the ball down the field yeah, yeah. or they're gonna you know go get a couple first downs here and at least kick a field goal. And it would be like third and eight, third and nine. They'd play it safe. They'd punt it, pin them deep, and they're like, go score on our defense. And they couldn't. Yeah. And then you know, and then it gets down to the end of the game. Then it's third and eight. 
you know, are they going to run it and, you know, make them, yeah. you know, run some more clock or and then they kind of went back to, you know, we're just better than you and we have Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. What did y'all, what did y'all think of the Ravens game plan? I found it intriguing to see. It felt like the second half, I only watched the second half of the game. While I was watching, it felt like the Ravens were playing like they're down by three touchdowns. Like with mm-hmm. Lamar trying to sling it deep to to Odell. I was like, why are we doing this? What are, Why are we not running the ball, right? Um, so I'm intrigued to see what you guys thought when it came to the other end with the Ravens. Like, why were they – I get it, Pat's on the other side. But they were playing like it was – Pat was playing like a shootout style. Yeah. Like when it came to Lamar, you know, dropping back and throwing the ball. Yeah, I think they 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 were out of their element. You know, and I think in a in a, a game, I, I honestly think that the Ravens went in thinking the Chiefs were not going to try to run the football the way they did. And I think I think with the Chiefs getting getting out there, having a successful early drive and kind of jumping on them early, I think it did kind of create a little bit of pressure for the Ravens and they just. They weren't in sync with the run game. They they didn't allow the run game to eventually kind of lean on that Chiefs defense. Like I remember coming out in the second half, they ran a counter play with Gus Edwards, and I thought it was the right call, and it kind of got spilled and bounced, and it ended up being like a negative one. And I think as a play caller, sometimes you're like, "All right, well we're not gonna we're not gonna keep messing with this." Um, and so it was it was just interesting to see them have a ton of success running gap schemes in the first half. You know, the, the QB power with Lamar, they ran another power with Gus Edwards and just continue to hammer the ball um, on those gap schemes, getting in tackle over. And you just didn't really see enough of it. It felt like they they never had a rhythm offensively. And, I mean, some of it obviously is play calling for sure, but I think at the same time, and I'm pretty sure Lamar would probably agree with this, it's like that's about as poorly as he's played. Maybe all season, like he he was missing throws that he doesn't normally miss, like a swing pass, or um, just he just seemed like rushed, or his feet weren't quite right in the pocket. I don't know; it just wasn't his normal game. And I think a lot of that has to do with just not feeling the rhythm of the run game early. And then sometimes, as a play caller, like when you don't get the run game going early, it is really hard to get yourself back to it as the game progresses, especially when you're down. I think that takes a lot of discipline. And on the flip side, the Lions jumped all over the Niners. Shanahan just kept running the ball, kept running the ball. Mm -hmm. And so obviously Purdy made some big plays too, but being able to lean back into your run game and have enough confidence and patience to do that is a big reason I think the the Niners are playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think maybe... I don't know. It might have been like the midpoint of the season. We were kind of talking about, you know, what NFL team, NFL offenses we were most impressed with. And I think we, you know, all kind of agreed that the, the Ravens and the 49ers were the two most, what we would say, balanced offenses. Yeah. And, you know, Dan, to your point, the, the, the 49ers, even though they got down, didn't, you know, shy away from still running the ball as to where. Right. And what, and that's the crazy part is they were down three scores. The Ravens were down one Big. score, and they, just, like you said, they just felt like for some reason they were still just playing this catch-up game. And they just, all year they've, and it's just the threat of knowing that there's a possibility that they're going to call that run or they're going to call that, 
you know, misdirection with Lamar and he's going to pull it and keep it out the backside. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's like the chiefs were never really worried by that because the Ravens would hit him with it one time and then they'd go away, uh, go away from it. And then their, their game plan pretty much just became, we're going to rush four. We're going to keep Lamar in the pocket. We're not going to let him get outside and we're just going to make him make throws. And like Travis said, they felt good about their matchup with their DBs mm-hmm. against their receivers. Yep. And you know, obviously Zay Flowers had a pretty strong day, but outside of him, they didn't really get the ball to anybody else besides Lamar making a good catch of his own. <laughs> he did make a great catch. Yeah, um, it was interesting. It was interesting talking to Rashad about this because he was actually over at the house for uh, for the game, and at halftime we were kind of talking through what I was expecting the Ravens to do in the second half. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. honestly, with as bad as they played in the first half, I was like, I exactly. still think they're going to dominate the second half, yep. like dominate. And I, and so basically I said four things. I said, I think they're going to get in big personnel groupings and get Gus Edwards getting going downhill. It just didn't really happen again. I'm not right. in the meeting room, so I don't know anything. Um, I thought they were getting a decent amount of man. Um, I was expecting to see some mesh or like something, some sort of like, rub route something to kind of get an easy completion versus man and they never really quite got to that um i was expecting to see some lamar qb run game whether it was power read qb counter more qb draw just didn't see a ton of like designed runs from him and then one of the things that they had trouble with in the first half was their screen game was off and i i was like but dude if they like if chris jones doesn't bat down that screen zay flowers Mm -hmm. is taking it 50 yards so like just because a defensive lineman made a great play, like stick with your screen game. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to pop. And it just, they couldn't get the screen game going. And so I know, again, I'm, I'm an armchair guy at, at that point watching a game, but it just felt like they, they couldn't quite get into the things that has, have made them successful all season long. Um, and, you know, it's interesting too, with, with Mark Andrews coming back from injury, Isaiah likely was playing really well. Like, was there a little bit of like mm-hmm. rustiness of, do I have my guy at tight end that I can count on? Is Andrews ready to roll um, full speed, full, full go? Um, that's always tricky too. When you got guys coming back from injury, especially when this, when the team is rolling. So um, yeah, it was interesting having that conversation in, in the second half, just being like, man, there's just no rhythm. There's no rhythm. And they had that one drive obviously where, um, Zay Flowers ended up fumbling out of the end zone, but man, it just felt like other than that drive, they just did not have the rhythm that they normally have. Yeah. And I kind of feel the same way about on the flip side, the Lions and the 49ers game. You know, obviously the Lions shot themselves in the foot a couple times with, you know, drops and fumbles, but I just felt like after that fumble, you know, they fumbled, 49ers score, game's tied you're still running the ball really well. I mean, it was obviously just like a little miscommunication yeah. between Goff and Gibbs in the backfield that caused a fumble. But like, I mean, man, they had to have been hitting them for seven, eight yards per carry. Oh, yeah. And they, it just kind of seemed like they all of a sudden, you know, it's just something in your head just says, all right, like panic mode, let's start throwing the ball the whole time. Yeah. It's like, man, they were just killing them in the run game. And it's just like, Shanahan just kind of stayed sturdy with the game plan. And it's almost like the, the lions just kind of flinched a little bit and got, I mean, a little too, I mean, it's not like they ever really got out of the game, but just a little too pass happy, you know, compared to how dominant they were with the run game early in the game. Man, 
it's funny, like, we're talking about two of the statistically best offensive coordinators in the entire NFL the whole season mm-hmm. in Ben Johnson and Todd Munkin. And they've had just phenomenal years, lighting it up, dominating. And th- this is the hard thing about being a play caller is you it's absolutely gut-wrenching looking back at that last game, whenever that last game is, if you don't win at all, and just being like, man, I, I wish I would have done this differently. I've had that every single season I've ever coached. Even with us winning at all this past season, like that last game, I was like, man, there's a bunch of calls I wanted back. Like there's a bunch of things I wanted back. And it's just, it's, that's, I think, why we love play calling. It's a lot like, you know, your golf swing where it's like you come back for that one perfect call you made. You come back for that one, like the, the perfect wedge you hit. Like that's why you keep coming back. And, uh, I'm obviously, I'm a terrible golfer. Jake's, Jake's the golfer of the group. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where the reason we love it so much is what makes it so freaking hard to be successful that two of the best guys in the entire league can have leads and hat or, you know, be in great positions in a game. And again, I'm not questioning their play calling per se, but I, I know for a fact being having been in a play caller shoes, almost every game I go through the film and there's calls that I regret and wish I could have had back. And I know at the highest level guys feel that way too. So yeah, man, it's, it's just interesting. Like, I mean, me, me and Rashad on our way down to Mobile, we're listening to uh, a podcast about the the Lions and, you know, getting all these criticisms of them going forward on fourth down. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you could make that argument. But at the same time, like that was a a defeated football team that in a couple of years turned itself around because they were aggressive. Exactly. And yeah. because and they probably they wouldn't were, be in that position if they didn't play the they way they did. wouldn't be. So. And so it's, it's easy to, it's easy to sit and second guess from the sidelines. That's for sure. Tough sport. The toughest and the best. That's for sure. Who's winning? Anything else we got to hit on? Predictions. Any, any parting words? Words of wisdom. I need I need Super Bowl predictions out of you two. Ooh, here we go. Ooh. I'm going with Shanahan. This is the year for the 49ers. They're going to figure it out. They're going to do it. Points? Ooh. Mm. I'll say bye, touchdown. It's like actual score. I need That's I need full not. on prediction. You need the full I'm score. Gonna, I'm gonna add. Okay, I'm gonna add. We can, so we can post this on Twitter. Whatever. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> when I get it wrong, um, I'm gonna keep it very simple. Uh, like twenty seven, like twenty seven twenty. Solid. Mm-hmm. Dan, I, I I think this is the year that Shanahan's gonna get it done. I do. But man, it's hard to it's hard to bet against Mahomes. It, it is really, it is. I just, really I hard for it. But yeah, it um, is. man, you're betting against Taylor Swift too. If you yeah, don't, right. pick, well, and I, and I think it's him. like we we talk about betting against Patrick Mahomes. You're also betting against Andy Reid, mm-hmm. which don't do that. Don't do that. But I don't know, man. I think I think if the 49ers stay healthy, Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt. 
and they get Christian McCaffrey going, I think they can find a way to win 24-17. I guess the question is, do you trust the Chiefs receivers versus the 49er DBs or the 49ers receivers versus the Chiefs DB? Oh, I said, well, opposite, yeah. Pretty much, who do you trust more in this in this matchup? I think, I think I would say the Niners receiving group is stronger. Now the Chiefs' defensive backs are much better, but they also have to get involved in the run game a lot. This isn't just a slinging around game. This is a hey, you're a corner, but you're going to have to fill, toss, pin and pull. So yeah, buckle up. <laughs> That's what makes it hard to play against the Niners. Because, yeah, you can be great in press coverage, but can you take on Trent Williams on toss? Don't want that. Don't want that. No, don't want that. Mm -mm. Jake, who you got? I think if Shanahan... You got to cover us, man. We can't can't all be taking the the Niners. I think if Shanahan will stick to the game plan, like running the ball with McCaffrey keeping Debo involved in the screen game, they'll win. But I think the Mahomes pressure is too much, and it does things to people, just like the Brady pressure did to people. It sure does. And I think it just it does things with your brain, just kind of like it did to the Ravens. And I think all of a sudden they feel like they got to get in a throwing match with him. And if you're going to give me a throwing match, it's gonna I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes every time. Chiefs all day. So Chiefs, 31, Niners, 21. And that's because the Chiefs score one late, kind of like they did in the last Super Bowl. Okay. And that's right. also because I saw a video the other day. I think I get the, got this right. So in the Hard Knocks episode before the season, they did that little uh, Dr. Oz guy or whoever he oh, is. Yeah. The And he had Mecole Hardman come down. That's he said, right. He said, the Super Bowl. He For said, we're going to beat the 49ers 31-21. Everyone's oh, like, my. Ooh. It wasn't the Jets. It's Mecole Hardman that he was predicting. <laughs> Mecole Hardman's back with the Chiefs. <laughs> so let's go, Jake. So maybe, Jake so maybe sprinkle a little Mecole Hardman touchdown. <laughs> and and any and what is it? An anytime touchdown anytime for Mecole Hardman. We'll take it. I saw the Amazing. other day that Vegas is really worried about the Sam Darnold Super Bowl MVP bet. Because they said that would be their biggest liability. People are betting on that one. And all it takes is one injury. Sam Darnold pops in. Lights it up. <laughs> Dude can ball. Oh, man. The, he can sling it. He can. He can sling it. Dude's fearless. No doubt, no doubt about it. It's going to be fun regardless. I think, it is. Yeah. you know, one of the things we're most excited about is when you get Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan together yep. on a football field. There's going to be some great offense. And that's what we're looking forward to most of all. I hope it's a great game. I hope both offenses are successful. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I'm very sad that this is the last bit of football. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, last last question. Who, which coach do you think is still installing plays on Saturday? Or Andy Reid. <laughs> Shoot, Shanahan probably is too. You see all the, the yeah, handwriting a, on his a, sheet. That's like a that's like an ultimate battle right there. More like who's still installing plays at like five twenty nine on Sunday. I think both of them, honestly, both yeah. of them. The hay is never in the barn. 
Mahomes mm-hmm. never, never, never. the barn. <laughs> I can see Andy Reid and Mahomes just with a football, like on the sideline, getting the old oh, 100%. Like, drawings 100%. on there. Man, you're talking about two coaches that are maniacal in their the depths they will dig to find great plays. I love it. That's why. Yeah. That's why I watch them every week. It's gonna be a good one. Somebody, awesome, somebody's man. gonna, somebody's gonna call something on Sunday that we're like, that was a good one. That's the one. That's the one. Kind of like the Chiefs awesome. with their little return motion in the red zone last year. Hey, oh, well, beautiful. They're gonna break something out. You know, yeah. when, when they got two weeks to prepare, they're gonna break something out. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, we're glad to be back at it. We're going to be a lot more consistent now that we're hitting the off season and we're kind of getting our schedules under control. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to having a bunch of guests on talking about play calling. Um, and we're still wide open to questions from coaches of, of all ages. Uh, anything you want to hear us talk about, any guests you want us to have on, uh, feel free to, to shoot us a message on, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'll make it happen. As always, we appreciate you guys. We'll be back. Victory is a great play call.